Hey guys, this is Jason with the BuckoCast, and if you're a subscriber, chances are you probably heard an incorrect episode in your feed. That's since been corrected. I want to apologize to you. Please accept my dearest apologies. It won't happen again, I promise. Anyway, enjoy the real show. Cast. This is Jason Rolson back with you along with Josh Taylor. Yo! <laughs> Yo is right. And what's up? We're happy to tell you guys that you're going to have a chance to come and heckle us live. That's right. We're doing a live podcast at the Pittsburgh Fan right across the street from PNC Park on July 6th. More details to come. We want to make sure you guys knew about it. And uh, Josh, uh, should, we be, should we be scared about what's going to happen? I immediately regret this decision. Um... <laughs> I, I might be a little bit nervous. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I think it'll be cool. Uh, it'll be cool to, to hang out at the Pittsburgh Fan. It, it's just literally, literally a stone's throw from PNC Park. So if you're heading up to the game, there's no reason why you should stop by and say hi. We'll be there chatting about some baseball, and Lord knows what else we'll get into. So definitely, by all means, come check it out. Yeah, you know, the Pittsburgh Fan has been really good to us, so I guess now would be a good time to tell you that we are brought to you by the Pittsburgh Fan. Uh, listen, like Josh said, it's right across the street from PNC Park. So when you go to the game, especially, you have no reason not to stop in. I guarantee you that you'll find some interesting stuff. They have unique clothing, unique memorabilia, uh, Pirate Sky 2019 on their shelves. So please, uh, check them out. Uh, if you go there right now and use the promo code BUCKOCAST, either in-store or online at thepittsburghfan.com, you'll get 15% off your order. So uh, there's no reason for you guys not to check it out, and we appreciate everything they've done for us. And we'll have more details on that July 6th event coming soon. But first, Josh, we have to talk about what is going on with this ball club. Um, the wheels have not quite fallen off completely, but you know the lug nuts are loose, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of that analogy I just had on the fly. So let's talk about the last week of Pirates baseball. What's on your mind as we uh, watch what the team has done over the past seven days? I love the lug nuts analogy. That's actually pretty good. I don't think I could have thought of that myself that quickly on, on such short notice. So that's yeah. impressive. Yeah, you know. Um, I think we can point to a couple different parts where the, the, the wheels started to come off. For me, I'm going to keep looking at the same thing. And I, I think back to the day I even texted you about it. I think back to when Jamison Tyone got hurt, and I remember texting you and going, I don't like this at all. This is not good. And we both kind of had the same feeling of not dread, but it was the same feeling of, oh, crap, this, this could be really, really bad. And I think that was when it started. Then Trevor Williams goes down after that. And I think we both just felt absolutely sick. Like, this is when things are really going to fall apart. Because if there's two guys that this team could not afford to lose, it was Jamison Tyone and Trevor Williams. And I think everything since then has probably really fell in behind that. Because there were other injuries that they could do without. There are other injuries that they could, you know, at least survive. They've survived Corey Dickerson not being here. They've survived uh, Lonnie Chisenhall not playing at all. They've survived those injuries. They even they even survived the injury to Starling Marte because uh, Starling Marte and Eric Gonzalez, they collide. They both get hurt, and we see Brian Reynolds and Cole Tucker come up. So we, they even survived that. But Jamison Tyone and Trevor Williams, they have not been able to survive without. Yes, I think now feels like a good time to kind of give the MASH report. Uh, the Pirates... Uh, head trainer uh, Todd Tomzak was available for media today and it's just run right through it because there were some updates 
Uh, Tyon, like Josh said, is still on a no throw, the, the no throw list. Um, for that, that's right. not a good list to be on. That's <laughs> I mean, there's the no fly list, which is never good. The no throw list is probably close to that as the worst list to be on. Yeah, especially if you're a pitcher, I would assume. Um, Keona Keller, they're both going to Bradenton to transfer their rehab. Uh, Keller, as you know, started a rehab and had to stop with more shoulder pain. Um, Tyon is still on no throw, like we talked about. Francisco, Francisco Cervelli. Uh, only taking part in light workloads, no time, no timetable for a turn. Here's the good news: Corey Dickerson, Young Ho Gong, both symptom-free, both continuing their rehab with AAA. Um, and then from there, you have Chris Stratton, who the Pirates kind of need right now. We're talking about more about the bullpen later. Uh, he's going to throw a sim game in Milwaukee, and so will Trevor Williams. So it looks like they might be getting Trevor Williams back sooner rather than later, at the very least. And you're right, Josh; they absolutely need them. And going into the season, we all kind of thought, yeah, Trevor Williams has a good chance to repeat his 20, 2018 season. And for the most part, he did. Um, pulling up stats right now, he, he uh, pitched to a, a 3.33 ERA, 3.3 whip, or excuse me, FIP, so you know it's legit. Um, four strikeouts to walk ratio. You don't, we could talk about talent all we want, but you, you don't replace that steady rock like Williams pretty easily, no? No, you don't. And it's... This is something that really, if you if you dated back just the past couple of seasons, if you want to go off of the two guys that probably were the most consistent in giving the team an opportunity to win every time they stepped on the mound, the two names are going to come to mind are Trevor Williams and, and Jamison Tynum. Those are going to be the two first names I think of when I think of the two guys that were that consistent. Every time they took the ball, okay, they got a chance to win this one. And I thought that was the, the, the pair of guys that really made the most sense. And Trevor Williams may be having the edge over Jameis and Tyone being the more reliable guy as far as giving his team a chance to win. And I, I made this case earlier in the season, and I've made this case on my own radio show. If you want to take it back to May of 2017, the best starting pitcher in this Pirates rotation has been Trevor Williams. and mm-hmm. He's been the most consistent guy, and now he's not there. And losing that makes it a problem. Um, I thought Tyon was starting to work his way into becoming maybe, you know, the number two, if not 1A, as far as most consistent and, and and most productive guys. But, you know, it seems like every time you turn around, there's just more and more bad luck with this this pitching staff. And and now, you know, that's not just counting the rotation. That's counting the bullpen, too. So the bad luck with the bullpen continues as far as injuries. It, it seems like everywhere you turn, there's just another guy that's going on the I.L. Yeah. Here's a stat for you. Trevor Williams, this year, aside from his very last start where, of course, he got hurt and came out after 3.2 innings, but let's keep that one out of it. Every single other start this year, he's been six innings or longer. So that just reinforces exactly what you said, Josh. He was the Pirates' most consistent pitcher. And, yeah, like I said, every start except that one, six innings or less, only gave up more than three runs twice. I don't know what else I have to say. This is, And it's gone under the radar somehow. Why is that? Because his name is Trevor Williams, because he didn't have the pedigree of a, a Jamison Tyone. He wasn't a number one overall pick like Garrett Cole. He was he was brought in in a trade in the infamous Jim Benedict trade. Is it safe to say the Pirates won that trade yet? Can we just like <laughs> can we check that one off? But it, it, that's what it is because he doesn't have a blazing mid to high nineties fastball. He's he's not some you know he's not one of those guys that's going to be on pitching ninja every time he starts with with a gift being featured of you know a couple overlays of some ridiculous stuff that he has he he's just not that guy he doesn't pop off as far as you know the visual he he's not going to jump off the screen but you look at the numbers the numbers sure do pop off the page and I, i'm glad you pointed out that he went 6 plus in every start except for the one he got hurt because 
isn't that what you want from a starting pitcher every night? Isn't that exactly what you're hoping for? And by the way, out of all of those starts, only one he gave up more than uh, more than four in runs. I think when he gave up five, you, you want that from your pitcher every night. Six plus, give yourself a shot to win it, and that's what he's done. That's what he had done up until the point when you lost him. So I, I think that's why we don't talk about it with him. It's because it, it's not glamorous. He's not mowing down nine or ten dudes each time. He might only he might strike out six guys in six innings. The other night he might strike out three. But he's just quick, efficient, and he just gets the job done. So we also saw the bullpen absolutely fall apart more often than not over the past week. Um, just read you off a couple numbers real quick of some guys in the bullpen and how their last week has gone. Uh, please hide the kids, hide the wife. So uh, let's talk ERA. Well, you have Nick Kingham, and he's on the bullpen, so I apologize, but i got to talk about him anyway. 15 ERA, very round, very nice ERA if you're a sadist. Yeesh. Rich Rodriguez, back from AAA, back to a 10.8 ERA. Um, even Felipe Vasquez got touched up. Of course, he had that blown save, but we'll cut him a break here. Jeff Hartlieb, 7.5 ERA. Um, Alex McRae is right now one of the darlings of the bullpen with a 7.2. And of course, you have Liriano holding it down at 2.7. Kyle Crick had 6.75, so everyone is struggling. And Josh, when your whole bullpen is struggling, it makes things so difficult, doesn't it? I think you forgot to mention the sneaky Francisco Liriano, yes, <laughs> but it, it it really it really does. And and when you start to piece together some of the games this team has lost, think early in the season when they were they were doing pretty well, and there were a couple games that they just lost because the bullpen could not hold it. And at at any point, you had guys that were just take a number, take a name. That guy was probably going to blow it for you, and that becomes something that. You know, that sticks out. It, it, it's one thing when your starters can't be consistent and they can't seem to go the distance to keep you in the game. It's another thing when the starter has the lead, hands the lead over, pretty much gift wraps it to you. The offense gets you runs and then your your bullpen can't hold it. That's when it becomes a lot more frustrating. And that's what we're looking into now. So even when things were good, even when you had a healthy Jamison Tyone and had a healthy Trevor Williams, we saw some of the warning signs early with this bullpen. And then it just got worse as time went along. You know, and we talked a couple podcasts ago, a couple episodes ago, about how Clint Hurdle was doing a very underrated job and getting a lot of criticism, perhaps not so deservedly. And you have to, you know, I've taken on a new appreciation of what this guy has to deal with night after night because his starters, he has to start Kingham, for example. Uh, They can't be trusted right now to go more than three or four innings. You saw Brawl pitch fairly well last night, but got through, what, four innings? So he has to, every night it's an adventure for him in the bullpen. And I have to imagine that the effect of that would be cumulative on him as well. Because he's going to have to second-guess himself with each and every move he makes, when to bring a guy in, when to take a guy out. That's going to have a cumulative effect on him as well. And I just want to make sure we mention that because, you know, what if you if you can manage better than Clint Hurdle in this situation, I, re, I really want to hear it from you. You know what I mean? I know I've expre- expressed this on these airwaves and on other airwaves that the one thing Clint Hurdle does that's useful to this ball club is his ability to connect with men, to motivate men, and to to keep them engaged. That's not easy. That's not easy when you have a team going through all of this stuff. There are people that are that are that have been ready to, to throw in the towel on this team for a month now. 
And as a manager, you don't have that luxury. You don't have the luxury saying, well, you know what? We're not going to win many games. You know, our two best starters are out. We're probably not going to win. Screw it. Let's just pack it up and go home. You don't get that luxury. You got to play out every last game. You got to show up and play out the entire 162. And even as a manager, that can wear on you. But his ability to come back every day with the attitude that he does and the people around him every day will tell you his attitude's infectious. It actually does, you know, it, it tends to rub off on people. But, you know, to maintain that every day, to be able to motivate guys every day, to be able to make some of the decisions that he makes and that, that aren't always easy when he sits certain guys down, when he plays certain guys, and do that with the same level of enthusiasm and still manage to have those guys respond. That's the hard part. It's one thing to make the decisions and then go from there. It's another thing when you have to make the decisions and the guys respond to it and they're still able to do it every day. That's the hidden value, I think, in him. But However, the the problem with the hidden value and what he does kind of gets washed out by the in-game decisions that he makes. Do I like all of them? No. I don't think all of them are his fault either. I think Having other resources or better resources at his disposal, they probably look a lot better, some of those decisions. But there are some times you kind of look and shake your head and you say, I I wonder what Clint's thinking here. And it is going to be one of those things that frustrates people over and over again. But, yeah, it's hard to just ignore everything he does on a daily basis and brings to the field. And these are things that you're not going to hear on a stat sheet. These aren't things that you're going to hear players talk about every day. And they're probably not things that we're going to give him credit for on a daily basis. But those are things that he does. So I guess we should ask this, this question this way. Um, Pirates 2-4 and four in their last six over the past week uh, have dropped down to 28-31, and 31, five games back of the division. And uh, I guess, you know, it's June. We can talk about this. Four and a half games behind the wild card. Um, so let's, let's put it this way, Josh. It's a doomsday clock. And the doomsday is the Pirates being pretty much out of contention, with, in, realistically speaking. Where on the doomsday clock is it? Nine? Eight? Where would you put it? Oh, it I'd probably say a, a nice, healthy 730. I don't think they're <laughs> there yet. It, and it's really not based on anything they've done. I think we talked about this a couple of shows ago. We talked about how their chances of, of staying in this thing really aren't because of them. It's because of what's going on around them. You mentioned it. Five games back in the division, four and a half back in the wild card. A couple injuries, you know, heal up. A couple guys break out of slumps. This team looks a lot better just on paper. Does everything change around them? I don't know. Do the other, the other teams in the division start to catch fire? You, you hate to think that it's possible, but let's not kid ourselves. Who are the other teams in this division? The Cubs, the Brewers, the Cardinals. Each of those three teams can catch on fire out of freaking nowhere, especially the Cardinals. They do it every year. They go on some 16 game, 15 out of 16, 16 out of 20, 20 out of 25, and you're going, how did they just do that? And they do it every year. The Cubs could get to some point when they're outscoring their opponents by four or five runs every night. They can get on one of those runs too. So it should not shock anybody if those teams are able to pull it off. Milwaukee's a team that I talk about that, you know, that's a team that I think is portable. That offense plays in any ballpark anywhere, and they can put up runs any night. So you know those three teams can go off at any point. But the fact that they're within striking distance still at this point, both the division and the wild card, you never want to rule it out. The odds of it, in my opinion, are super slim. But right now, I'll say 7.30 on the doomsday clock. Coincidentally, 7.30 is when we started recording this, so I don't know if there was some, uh, you know, Freudian slip there, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. 
Uh, it, it, it might have been an, a weird irony. I won't lie. Okay. For, for me, I'll say I'm at 8.15, maybe 8.20. I don't know. Because here's why. I don't – I just – I still – you know, Trevor Williams is going to do a simulated game. That's great. One would hope the Pirates would learn their lesson from Chris Archer and kind of really drive home to Trevor that we need to do a rehab start or two. So the, the, he's not going to – excuse me. He's not going to realistically be back until third week of June maybe. And Tyon isn't even going to start throwing until July. And we've seen the Pirates' rotation and the pitching depth without those guys. And I think each week that goes by that they're not in the rotation is another week that's just full of angst and, you know, just treating each game with, like like I said earlier, like a, like a war zone. So I'm a little ahead of you, but look, you're right. It's, it is only June 5th, so maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But the, the thought is out there that, you know, it's – it, it's already two months into the season. That's not to be taken lightly. But a lot of people, Josh, are talking that it's time to start trading people. We're, we've reached that point. Uh, first of all, agree with that, yes or no, or, or what, what's your thought on that? Um, it depends on what guys we're talking about trading. Okay. If we're talking about just selling off every big asset or every guy that you think can bring you a return, I'm not ready to go there yet. You and I talked about this previously. We know one of those outfielders is going to have to go at some point, especially when Corey Dickerson comes back. We know someone's going to be able to stay here. And if they don't send Brian Reynolds down, someone's going to have to get traded. It's a matter of when. Now, someone broached a topic that I thought was pretty interesting, and I'm going to give Craig Riley a shout-out for this one. Uh, he mentioned, I think it was last night on Twitter, he mentioned Andrew McCutcheon with his ACL injury, which is really unfortunate. And yeah. Shout out to Cudge and wishing all the, wishing all the best to, uh, to him for a speedy recovery. Um, I'll, I'll never forget him and what he did for baseball in the city, period. Yep, absolutely. Um, and Craig Riley, I thought, put up a, a good scenario. You know, what if you offer Starling Marte to Philadelphia? Because they just wouldn't got Jay Bruce to help that outfield out. And, of course, another, you know, 30s, an outfielder in his, his, his 30s, this left-handed that's going to find a fountain of Houston, Philly, because that ballpark is the size of my bedroom, so whatever. But um, he actually did, you know, bring up an interesting point, in my opinion, because there's going to have to come a point when you're going to have to look to shop one of these outfielders. And you have to start asking the question, when is Starling Marte going to bring you a decent return? And has that time already passed? Mm. Was that time last year? What Was that, that peak time last year? But if you do move him, is he going to give you as good of a return? Because I, I'm, I'm of the impression that Melky Cabrera will bring you a decent return. I'm of that impression. I don't know if Marte will bring you the kind of return that he should. I don't know if moving Polanco now would give you the kind of return that he should. And it, it does raise a lot of questions. So if you're talking about moving, moving an outfielder just because you have too many and you have other needs to fill, so if you're moving an outfielder for a starting pitcher, I'm all for that idea because it's a situation of need. But just selling guys off for the sake of selling guys off you don't do that in June right now. You maybe do that in, if you're talking late June and you're more than five games out, if you're 10 games out in late June, if it's the all-star break and you know you're not going anywhere, maybe you're having that discussion. But for right now, I'm making moves because of need, not because of just a, 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 the feeling of it's time to do it now. Yeah, I'm with you. And Marte was the guy I was actually going to bring up. Uh, I, I agree completely. There's no need to do a sell-off right now, of course. Um, I don't even think they're close to that. Of course, when McCutcheon did go down, I think people drew some natural conclusions there. But i got to tell you, with Philadelphia in win-now mode, it's not going to be a baseball trade. I'll tell you that right now. And their prospects are a little thin. They only have two 
top 100 prospects according to MLB yeah this Pipeline. is this is a, a system that's still rebuilding itself because you remember for all those years that organization was so top heavy because they were so focused on re re-upping that major league roster every year for like more than a half a decade and that was really their focus yep uh, yeah, so you're exactly right. And only two 100, top 100 prospects, one of which is a third base prospect. And uh, have we forgotten about Cabrian Hayes so far? You know, so I it's going to be tough. So you have to look elsewhere. But I think that if if we're talking again in two weeks and the Pirates are just treading water again, I think it becomes a lot more realistic. But what I really want to talk about though is just the clamor, you know, the the uh, the uproar to go ahead and trade Marte because the guy is still a productive player. Uh, at 30 years of age, um, pulling up his stats right now, and he had a great week, by the way, over the past week, batting 400, getting on base at a 419 clip, which is, you know, pretty good for him. 156 WRC plus at the end of the day, and again, he has two years of team control, I believe. Yeah, yeah, two option years coming up. Um, so the Pirates are in the driver's seat in terms of what they can do, in terms of going out and trying to see what they can get for him. But look, had 3.7 F4 last year. In 2017, uh, shortened season, of course, 1.4. 3.7 in 2016. He's going to be right around 4 war each and every year, even though he can frustrate the hell out of you. So why the why the sudden furor to trade him, Josh? I mean, did, did Brian Reynolds impress that much? Yes, he did. He did impress that much, which I thought gave a lot of people pause about Corey Dickerson, and rightfully so. Because it was the same thing last year. Uh, if you're if you have the uh, Austin Meadows situation, someone get hurt gets hurt, Meadows comes in, he plays well. Let me start talking about well, who do you have to move? But it it, it became the discussion last year when you had Morte and Polanco and, and Dickerson when um, Austin Meadows played that well. Uh-huh. The thought was, well, do you move Polanco? Do you move Morte? Or do you move Dickerson? Because a lot of people say, well, you, you got to move Dickerson. You don't need him anymore. So that was. Corey Dickerson was the sexy name to move last year. It seems like the sexy name to move this year is Starling Marte. I, I'm not ready to go there. And that's considering the fact that the guy that I think is the more sexy name to move is the last guy of that group that I want to be moved. I don't want him to trade Melky Cabrera. But right now, as far as the hot name right now, as far as the best return right now for which you can get, it's Melky Cabrera for me because he's actually producing and he's got the track record. It's going to speak for itself. To your point about Starling Marte being a a three and a half on average war player, you know, two plus is considered starting level. Uh If you're around five, they consider that all-star level. So if you're hovering somewhere between three and five war, you're probably better than most guys that play your position. Now, does he not always play to his potential? Of course he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. It's maddening and it drives us crazy. But as far as getting a guy that is a pure athlete in every sense like he is and I say this often when we talk about certain guys and why we should get rid of them and why they haven't lived up to their potential all they need is to find one team that can maybe fix a problem or two and that guy will take off and I say this often never underestimate a team's ability to think they can fix a guy you got to believe there's at least 20 teams out there that say oh we could definitely fix Starling Marte send them on over here we'll figure it out the moment you let that guy go, you send him somewhere else. Somewhere else figures, someone else figures him out, and he just takes off. That fear should not stay in the back of your mind as a reason not to trade him. But you you keep that in mind as far as what he's done and what he's expected to do on a daily basis. Because if there ever came a point 
where he figured it out without trading him, you feel a lot better about it. But if I'm going to move Starling Marte, it's not out of frustration. It's not out of unmet expectations. It's going to be because, wow, this is a really great trade, and someone's offering us a lot of stuff to get one guy. And I don't think that trade's happening right now just because of what we've seen out of, we've seen out of him so far this season. And it hasn't been enough to merit a, okay, we'll give you prospects of this caliber to get him. Hey, let me put it to you this way. You're not going to get the package that they gave up for Chris Archer to move Starling Marte right now. That's not happening. And since that's not happening, I don't do that trade right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a perfect way to put it. And I don't want to minimize people out there who have this feeling that Marte is expendable because the flaws that they see, they're legitimate because the knock Absolutely on, legitimate. Yeah. yeah. The knock on him is, is what? He chases, right? Well, I have the numbers for you. And this year he's chasing at 36.4% of the time. The current MLB rate is 28.1%. He makes contact on those uh, chases at 51.4%, and the MLB rate is 59.9%. So not only is he chasing, but he doesn't even give himself a chance because the chase, the pitches he does chase, he can't make contact on. So, yeah, the, the, what you're seeing is legit, but consider the entire package, the entire season, before you make your conclusion. That's all we're asking, I think. And... You know, I think this next topic I want to bring up is something that we can decide if we've seen enough or not, and that's Kevin freaking Newman. All right, now he's cooled down lately, but you know, Josh, I looked up on Sunday, Saturday or Sunday or something, he was batting 340 and getting on base at, at 410. You know, is that is it legit in your eyes, or is he uh, kind of just having a, a small peak right now? I think it's legit. I think it's legit because the way he's doing it. Um, I think it's legit because he's using his speed to do it. I think he's using uh, some some improved patience to do it. I think the way he's going about it is what makes a difference. There hasn't been as much power there, but there has been a lot of discipline, which I think great. I think the fact that he's, he's used his speed to get on base, I think is great. I think all that stuff is good. And uh, I'm to the point now, whether it's shortstop, whether it's third base, whether it's second base, get him on the field because he helps you. So there, there's no question now as to, you know, whether or not he sticks around or how often you use him, you find any way you can. This isn't like the outfield where you have three or four guys that are all established major league veterans like Marte, Dickerson, Polanco, and Cabrera. You don't have that problem on the infield. You're still trying to find maybe a combination of four guys that makes sense. So since you don't have that, you got to go with the guys that are performing the most consistently. And right now there's only one he plays first. Just so happens Kevin Newman plays the other three positions. So just find the one that works for you. Put him there, whether it's one of those three spots at any given point on any given night. Put him there, let him cook, and see what happens. You know, I wrote about him um, at DKPittsburghSports.com. I think I released it on Tuesday. So go check it out because it's free. Uh, we're f uh, All my stuff is free this week as we try to push uh, what my column is called Mound Visits. It's going to be Monday through Friday now. So you know, please check it out, see if you like it. And what I saw is I looked at some video of him, Josh, and it was a simple thing that he did over last year. He moved into the plate a little more, a little closer to the plate in the box. And a commenter there, I can't remember his name, but I want to make sure I, I get it out because it was so good. He mentioned that he saw Pete Rose talk about hitting once. And Pete Rose said, you know, I'll never change my swing. My swing has gotten me here. Uh, I've collected so many hits on my swing. But I will liberally move around the batter's box, change up my footwork, and anything else I need to do to get out of slumps and get into a hot streak. So maybe it was something as simple as Kevin Newman inching in closer to the plate so he can get more of the barrel through the zone. Um, so, Josh, is that something that he can take and kind of have that approach and just make it last so he can be a serviceable player? 
Of course he can, because it was something as simple as that stepping backward for Gregory Polanco last year. Yep. It, took, it took his dad being in Pittsburgh saying, hey, you're too close to the plate. You should back up a bit. Takes a step back and just starts mashing the ball. So, yeah, sometimes that small adjustment makes all the difference in the world. It worked for Charlotte, uh, for, for Gregory Polanco. There's no reason to think that such an adjustment couldn't work for Kevin Newman. Uh, there, there's guys that are pitchers. Sometimes it's a matter of pitching from one side of the rubber or the other. Yeah. That makes the difference. So those adjustments, they're important. They, they seem small and they seem meaningless, but they can mean a big deal. So, yeah, I, I'd say if that's the case, they continue to do it. And if it continues to lead to results, then that you figured out what to do and you move forward and you, you look for the next challenge. Maybe the Pirates just need to extend the dad trip for like the entire season. <laughs> because I remember uh, I read Chipper Jones's book, uh, the Hall of Famer for the Braves, of course, and he talked with his dad about hitting every single day, every single night. You read Chipper's book. Oh, man, I got to check that out. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I didn't know Chipper had a book. He's, he's one of the reasons why I want to even be a switch hitter. I was watching <laughs> Chipper Jones. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he uh, talked with his dad every night. His dad would tape the games, watch video, and, you know, tell him. And, you know, maybe maybe the Pirates' dads can help out in that regard. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to go through our question of the week. So, you know, basically, guys, uh, on Sunday or Monday, as the show is looming on the horizon, we'll put out a question of the week on Twitter. You can follow me at PGH. You can follow Josh at JoshTaylorHD. And our question this week was, what is the one thing, just one thing, that the Pirates need to do to kind of right the ship or at least get above treading water? And I'll just read off a couple of you, Josh, and you can tell me what you, th- what you think about the answers. Tell me if, it's, uh, if you agree or disagree. First one comes from Let's Go, at Let's Go Bucks. Well, he was first on in that username. and uh, he says, that's, that's actually pretty impressive to snag that name before anyone else does. Yeah, it's like I always, I always laugh when uh, Brian McElhinney at RTJR raise the jolly roger he uh he jumped on that pretty quick so yeah you know. impressive meanwhile i've had like seven different usernames i can't stay on one anyway <laughs> i finally found one i liked like three years ago and i'm not letting it go so there you go i'm, I'm waiting i'm waiting for jay at jay rollison to uh just you know stop using twitter but we'll see anyway he says the one thing he wants to see the pirates do to get above water is proper management of the bullpen and he throws an example of not using clay holmes in close game situations, but Josh, how can he, how can the Pirates actually do that? We talked a little bit earlier about Hurdle, but how can the Pirates actually do this when they have Keona Kella down, Nick Birdie down, and having to call up these guys who are maybe not ready? Um, I think you answered your own question. The guys that are supposed to be their best guys, or at least a couple of them, aren't there, and the guys that are the um, replacements aren't good enough. Remember when it's funny, and I'm going to throw this little caveat in here. It's funny because everybody keeps breaking down the Chris Archer trade as to why it's so bad and why it looks so terrible. And I keep saying, well, what about the Kayoni Kella trade? Doesn't that look worse right now? At least Chris Archer's healthy and and actually, you know, trying to perform. Kayoni Kella got shut down last season because of his shoulder. And he's already shut down this season because of his shoulder. And they brought him in specifically to be an important guy in the, in the bullpen, just like they brought Chris Archer in to be an important guy in the rotation. And that's not trying to put one above the other or put one beneath the other. But, you know, you want to talk about trades that don't look good right now. Kaoni Kell is one of them because he's supposed to be with Cal Crick and Felipe Vasquez. They're supposed to be the triumvirate that's supposed to lock down the back end of games right now. And those guys haven't been it. Or I should say those guys haven't been together to be 
that that trio. So that's something that sticks out. And then you have guys like Nick Birdie who are supposed to come in and maybe bring a shot to the arm, being kind of a, a, a hidden you know candidate. And he hasn't been able to do that because he's been hurt. And then Chris Stratton was brought in in the trade, expected to be a guy that maybe gives him a shot in the arm, and he can't be that guy because he's hurt. So it just it just continues to snowball. Richard Rodriguez was supposed to be a guy that at least continued to, uh, if nothing else, progress from last season just because, you know, he had uh, been so good last year and earned the opportunity from, you know, from lower leverage to higher leverage and finally working his way into that spot. And he totally has gone in the other direction. So just from the guys that are already here, that the expectations have fallen, much less the guys that they've called up from AAA. Yeah. So I want to shout out, uh, our friend Gary Morgan at Gary Mo 2007. This isn't an answer to our question, but he kind of replied to at Let's Go Bucks and said, Felipe needs to pitch in roughly half the games. If that means using him to keep games within striking distance, fine. Can't go two week stretches with your best pitcher not seeing the mound. I choose this over the cliche, get healthy, as they can't control the health. Kind of agree. There was a stretch where Felipe Vasquez didn't pitch in something like, uh, what was it, like a, a week? No, it, was like, it was ridiculous. I think it was like seven or eight days, and that should never happen. Yeah. If you know that guy's one of the most reliable in your bullpen, if you know he's the best as far as repertoire in your bullpen, why is he sitting for a week? Yes. Even if it's not a safe situation, even if it's not the ninth inning and the game is tied in your face in the best part of the lineup, why isn't he actually in at some point? Even if it's in the eighth inning, you know you got the better part of your lineup coming up in the next inning and you want to at least keep it close. Why is he not pitching? Why would you have your closer sit for a week? And this is on the heels of a situation where they did not bring him in in another part of a game where he actually could have been useful. Where, he, where they could have brought him in and another pitcher ends up blowing the lead. They say, oh, well, it wasn't a safe situation. Oh, wait, it actually was a safe situation. Yeah. It just wasn't in the ninth inning. So you you saved him to not use him, and now he's been sitting for a week and you're not using him at all. It, that's one That's one of those those chains of decision-making that I talked about earlier. You kind of hold your head and you're wondering, what, what the hell is Clinton doing? That's one of those things. But, yeah, your closer, especially a guy as good as Vasquez, should not be sitting there for a week. As much as I like to make fun of the Nationals for making that trade in the first place, and they haven't had a closer since they actually uh, unseated Drew Storen and then they moved Felipe Vasquez, it's just as ridiculous for the Pirates to have this guy and not use him. You you got this guy in a deal that just you stole off of Washington, who you should probably still be there and be their closer right now. Bad enough you stole the guy. Now you're not using him. It just seems equally as idiotic. Yeah, I mean, you could say that Neil Huntington just is a kleptomaniac who just loves the thrill, and then he, you know, whatever he steals, he'll just not use. So, but or, or <laughs> Clint Hurdle won't use, I should say. But, Neil Huntington, the kleptomaniac of baseball. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta trademark that. Yeah. So, and I, I'm looking at his game logs now, and there was actually six days in April where he didn't pitch either. And he's I been don't on, get it. Yeah, he's oh. he's been on the record as saying, "I'll pitch wherever you want me to." So when someone is on the record saying that, you know, he'll have a comfort level because. I'm telling you, the guy is wired a little differently. I think he just likes going out there and trying to embarrass a hitter. He loves the battle. So I think it doesn't really bother him that he won't be the guy in the ninth inning. And no one's asking Clint Hurdle to fully embrace bullpenning. No one's asking him to make Felipe Vasquez an opener. Right? Right. Right. We're not doing that. No, we're We're not not doing that. We're not. So we'll move on with some more answers to our question of the week. At Fstover1, and this will be a quick one. His key is no runs allowed in the first three innings, which they've done in 63% of the games, which... Yes. Yeah. That's... Nick Kingham has a lot to do with that, too. Yes. That's kind of his thing. 
absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. But I also think that, um, you know, they still have to settle in, you know. He could pass the third inning, of course. He, Stephen Brault, as much as we're praising him for giving the Pirates something, you know, would like to see him go five at least. Our next guy uh, answering this on Twitter, at gone underscore Poston, he says, that, and this was a Sunday, so the stat might be a little off, but I think it'll pretty much fit. He says the team is 12-5 and five when they hit at least two home runs, 7-11 and 11 when they hit exactly one, 9-14 and 14 when they hit zero. They need more jacks. Small ball is trash. So I guess we'll say this. I mean, Josh Bell, of course, was tearing the cover off the ball in May, deservingly won May Player of the Month in the NL. But is this team the kind of team, Josh, in your opinion, that has to have those home runs? Um, I won't say they have to have them. But I will say it makes their job a lot easier when they get them. I can't say they have to have them because they don't have a lot of guys that can hit them that consistently. So, you know, having to have it is kind of a, a tough way to put it when you don't know who the guys are that can do it consistently. Because Josh Bell, he's doing it. He's got 18. He's not the question mark. The thing after it is that the next closest guy has seven, and that's Starlight Marte. Uh-huh. And then Colin Moran has six. That's where the problem lies. The problem isn't that Josh Bell is, is hitting so many. It's that he's the only one hitting so many. That's where it becomes an issue. And that's where it becomes kind of a problem. But let's not kid ourselves. We knew going into this season, this team was not going to have a lot of power. And we didn't expect that kind of power from Josh Bell, ironically. So it made it even more quizzical coming into this season. So the fact that he has supplied it and no one else has, it, it seems weird because Josh Bell's been so good. But we didn't expect him to be that good. Just think about it. If, if Josh Bell met the expectations that we had set for him, which was way lower than what he's doing right now, this team might look even worse as far as their home run production. And that would really bother everybody involved. So there, there might be a little bit of a changing of the lens on that perspective. Yes, every team needs more home runs just because it's the game of baseball and it's the most surefire way to score a run or two depending on how many guys are on base is hitting a home run. It, it, it's it's pretty simple. My high school coach used to tell us there's only two things you can't defend, a walk and a home run. So you, you know what it brings you to the table. Would they like more? Yes. Expecting more out of this group I think is unrealistic. It's weird because if you look at the last seven days – Again, the Pirates went 2-4 and four over the last six over the past week. But you have guys who are not striking out. Yes, Gregory Polanco had a horrendous week. We'll talk about him a little later. Josh Bell had an off week. Those are the only two guys among Pirates regulars who had a strikeout rate over the past week of 20% or higher. And 20% is about league average, usually year to year. You have guys like uh, Cole Tucker looking much better, 15.7% strikeout rate. Starting Marte, 16%. And Colm Moran, 15% as well. A bunch of other guys I can list. So the team is not striking out. They're making decent contact. Um, but again, the runs just aren't there. So yeah, until they can show us otherwise, they need those home runs maybe a little more than another team does. But that is our question of the week. Again, every Sunday or Monday, usually we'll uh, put out the question of the week. Kind of want to get you guys involved in the Buckle Cast as well. Right now, though, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. All right, we got you back here on the BuckleCast. Myself, Jason Rolison of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and Josh Taylor of 93.7 The Fan on your radio dial, and KDKA TV on your television dial. If your TV still has a dial, I apologize. <laughs> so we're going to play a game I like to play called Which Comes First, where I'll give you, Josh, two scenarios. And pretty simple, you'll tell me which comes first. So the first one is, 
Which comes first, Josh Bell going into a significant slump and let's say, you know, something stupid like 2 for 25 or something like that, or Young Ho Gong returning to the majors. He was 4 for 5 last night and he's halfway through the 20 days allotted for a major leaguer to rehab in the minors. I'll say Gun comes back first. Um, and I, I say both of those reasons are equally important. One, Gung seems to look like he's kind of rounding back in the form, or at least something close to it, which I'm okay with. Um, the other thing is that Josh Bell got last night off, and I talked about Clint Hurdle decision-making before in the show and how it can be frustrating. He might have gotten this one right. Giving Josh Bell a day off in early June, hadn't had one yet, first sign of trouble, you know, goes 0 for 6 in a night when they really needed him to come through and he didn't. So they give him that Monday off, um, or excuse me, that, that Tuesday off. I think that's the kind of rest that he needs, take a mental break, come back, and focus on what doing what he was doing to start the season and getting back to what he was doing before. And I don't see that slump being that significant. So I will say Gunn comes back first. Yeah, listen, I agree with you overall. I, I surely do. But I will tell you, my eyebrow, my left eyebrow, is half cocked. It's half raised. Because like I said, Josh Bell did have a 26.4% strikeout rate over the past week. Uh, yeah, I agree. Probably needed that day off. We'll see how he comes back. Next one. Which comes first? Joe Musgrove lowering his ERA below 3.5. Currently, it's at 4.57 starting tonight if they ever get the game started. Or Jamison Tyon returning in mid-July. Ooh, I'm going to go with Musgrove. Oh. I'm going to go with Musgrove because I look at those first, was it the first six starts he had that were so good to start the season? Then he had the two rough ones. Then he came back with seven scoreless. And I, I give him credit. Three of his last well, three of his last four starts, he's gone at least six innings. And in two of those starts, he's given up three runs or less. So... I'm willing to think that it's Musgrove just because in the midst of those couple starts that he's had in the past couple weeks, he still had a couple really good ones too. So I'll say Musgrove. Okay. I think I agree with you overall. I swear, I swear I didn't plan this, but I also wrote about, wrote about him today at DKPittsburghSports.com, and I noticed uh, his fast, his four-seam fastball over the month of May, his release points were a little bit all over the place in terms of what he was doing the, the month previous where he was so good. Hmm. So something to watch out for. Um, you know, pitchers go through that all the time in the middle of the season, right? Sometimes maybe a, a planted leg here or there is a little off. Maybe their elbow is coming out in a little bit of a weird way. Um, those things happen, so I think it'll be a quick adjustment, but it's something I noticed. Next one. Which comes first? Brian Reynolds being sent down or Melky or Dickerson being traded. You're really trying to twist the knife on me, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Um, huh. I hate saying this out loud. Uh, Melky or Dickerson getting traded. I, I feel like that's what's going to happen. I, I'm not. I'm not shying off of that. This is one of those times where I'm going to just bite the bullet and expect the bad thing and hope that I'm wrong, because I I've got I've had so much fun watching Melky Cabrera this season. But yeah, I will say Cabrera or Dickerson get traded before Reynolds gets sent down. You cannot send this kid back right now. If they couldn't send Austin Meadows back last year, mm. how could you possibly justify sending Brian Reynolds back this year? It, it, we thought the four-man outfield rotation was a ridiculous idea. 
But here we go again in the decision where you're going to keep all these guys here, right? It's it's funny how we changed the perspective because last year we thought it was insane, and this year we're going. You can't send Brian Reynolds down. You can't do that. So yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll say the other two get traded first. <laughs> So there you have it, guys. Uh, Josh Taylor pulling a George Costanza and trying to do the opposite. Maybe think, hoping it'll work out the way he wants it to. So I'm, I'm seriously hoping that he doesn't get traded. But then again, I don't want to see Brian Reynolds get sent down either. So I'm, I'm a man torn when it comes to that question. Okay. Last one here. Which comes first? Elias Diaz takes a walk. And he's had a 3.8% walk rate this season, and he had zero last week. Or Kevin Newman strikes out, and Kevin Newman had a 14.5% strikeout rate on the season, but only 3.3% over the last seven days. So which is first, Josh? Diaz takes a walk, or Newman strikes out? Um, I'm going to go with Diaz taking a walk, because he's actually in the middle of a stretch where he, he's really started to heat up, and he's hitting the ball hard, and Diaz will have those. You know, over the course of the season, and we saw when he was first called up. It took him a couple weeks, and then he just completely caught fire. So I think he's in the middle of one of those runs right now. And when you're in those runs, teams are going to stop pitching to you. So sooner or later, they're going to try to get around him. And I think just because of the the run that he's on right now, maybe someone will try to avoid him and they'll probably draw a walk. And that's also considering the fact that Kevin Newman has done such a great job of making contact. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yep. So that was uh, which comes first. You know, game we like to play to kind of help us, you know, raise some interesting questions about what's going to happen with this club. So now we're going to go to the Pittsburgh Fan Hotline, brought to you again by the Pittsburgh Fan. Check them out at thepittsburghfan.com or follow them on Twitter at the Pit P-I-T-T, Fan. All right, so our first one comes from our friend Kevin at the Point of Pittsburgh. And if I can find it on my Twitter, that would be helpful. He asks... Who are both of your top three prospects in the system currently, excluding the 2019 draft picks? And I'll start, Josh, mine. Um, of course, I'm big on Cabrian Hayes still, even with his uh, perceived struggles at AAA. I like Keller at number two for obvious reasons. He's a top 100 prospect that's a right-handed pitcher, top 10 right-handed pitcher according to MLB Pipeline. But my third one, I'm going to go off the beaten path a little bit. I really like, I still am a believer in O'Neill Cruz, the 6'7 shortstop for now, who uh, has all the bat skills you want, great tools all around, uh, currently on the injured list right now, but has the potential to be a very plus bat at a premium position, although he'll probably get moved. So Josh, who are your top three prospects in the system right now? I'm going to be corny and agree with you on Hayes and Keller. And to reach back to our conversation earlier about needing home runs, I'm going to throw Will Craig in there as my number three because he's actually hitting for some some considerable power. I think 15 home runs this season at AAA. He's doing the things that they need a guy in his position to do. And, and, you know, being a corner infielder with power, that's what you wanted. And he's doing that in AAA. Not to mention he's a first-round draft pick, so you're going to have high expectations for him. So, yeah, I will say Hayes, Keller, and Will Craig. Yep. So a frequent tweeter to us and listener of the show, Vincent at VNO, V-E-N-O 202, uh, kind of piggybacked on the Craig thing, um, wondering if they should send him back to third base or what they could do to get him up here. And I'll answer that because he's been trying to take some outfield reps. I think moving him back to third base right now is just not an option. Uh, he has the arm to play it, but the defensive instincts are not quite there. That's why he was moved off of it to begin with. Almost from the time he was drafted, people thought this is definitely, 
definitely a future first baseman. Mm-hmm. And give him, give him all the credit. You know, I covered the curve for a few years, and Mike Ryan, their manager, every single time I talked to him about Craig, Ryan would always start, did you see his defense? He's been working so hard. So all the credit in the world to him on that one. Let me get you the next one, Josh. This is from Evan. He says, what are your guys' thoughts on why you think the Pirates didn't put a bigger emphasis on drafting a catcher earlier than the seventh round when the farm system is really lacking at the position? And just so you know, to bring people to speed, their best pet, their best catching prospect is a guy by the name of Deion Stafford, a nice player, but not what would you call a type a top prospect. So why didn't they put the more emphasis to that position, Josh? Wow. If you're asking me questions about drafts, I, I'm Same. probably the last guy when it comes to the baseball draft and why teams do what they do. Same. Um, the maybe- first question when it comes to Will Craig, um, two things. One, if you hate Colin Moran's defense at third base, you're going to loathe Will Craig's. Let, let's let's put that one out there. Uh, the second thing with Will Craig, you know what the answer really should be? And um, the old school purist baseball fans will hate this. Um, is it too early to have the DH in the National League? Because that's one thing that could help you. Bell or Craig. Bell or Craig or Polanco, for that matter. If you get him off the field, his value skyrockets immediately because you no longer have him out there trying to catch a ball and throw it. Now all he has to do is hit, and that makes his value a lot more truncated. I know everybody says, oh, you got to go out and pay a guy. No, you don't. You got a few guys that can do it right now. You got Polanco. You got Craig in the minors. You got Bell. You even got Melky Cabrera. You got a bunch of guys that could do it that could be your DH. So stop it with that. But, yeah, that would be my answer. That's really not realistic. Um, to answer your question, let's, let's get back to the catcher question. That's something the, – the MLB draft is so – there's so many moving parts. It depends on who they like because a lot of this is based on who their scouts looked at, who they thought, who they talked to, who they thought was draftable for them. And they might not have seen the guy that they liked until the seventh round. You know, it might have been a guy that they had a, that they got in the seventh round that they might have thought was going to go a lot earlier. And they said, wait a minute, this kid's here. We got to take him here. Or, you know, it really comes down to A, what they're looking for, B, how the scouts feel about them, and C, the value of where they can find them as opposed to just filling a need. It, this isn't the NBA draft. It's not the NFL draft where you're drafting a guy that's going to be expected to fill a slot in one to two years. And even though there is a minor league system that you have to replenish, I get all that. You're still not drafting guys with the thought of, oh, we got to fill all these spots in the minor leagues. You're still drafting guys because you like them and you want them to be part of your organization. Yep. And one thing I'll add is that Elias Diaz is the starting catcher for this team. Perhaps as soon as midseason this year, you can always find a backup catcher on the free agent market for cheap. So that's why I'll say maybe it's not so much of a focus. Our next question comes from our friend Murray at Spazaroo. I always love saying that. Um, We kind of answered this so we'll just move. I'll just mention it because Murray's such a great guy, and we'll move on. He asks, "Do you really think this team has a chance to contend?" He doesn't. I think we pretty much said that they can, but things are going to have to get better pretty soon. Um, last thing I want to end on, Josh. This is from Tony on Facebook. What the heck is going on with Gregory Polanco? Um, I mentioned, kind of alluded to it over the past week. He's had a pretty significant slump, batting 133, uh, striking out 44.4 percent of the time. Um, so that's a negative 0.3 FR, a very bad week for Polanco. What the heck's going on, Josh? He's a guy who's not fully in that mode yet. He was a guy that started the season recovering from an injury, and it was an aggressive rehabilitation. It was a very early uh, 
return on the timetable. And this is what I expected. I, it's going to sound super hindsight-ish. But when they told me, oh, Gregory Polanco might be ready as early as April or May, and I'm going, okay, you can bring him back. But, uh, you know, it, it takes a long time for for him to settle at the bottom of that jar when you shake it up. So, you know, it, when when he finally settles at the bottom of the jar, then I'll, I'll, I'll know things are okay. But I knew there was going to be an adjustment period just because from season to season when he's healthy, there's always an adjustment period as far as things go. So I knew there was going to be one with him, and I knew it was going to be a little bit more truncated. So I can't say I'm not surprised. I, I'm not shocked that the defense had uh, had its its really, really ugly moments. Yeah. I'm not shocked that the offense is going to have its moments now. It, it's going to take a while for him to really come around. It's just, it, it's, 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 how do I, how do I describe this in a way that makes sense? It takes a while for that car to warm up. Yeah. Let, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. And I expected that car to take a while to warm up. It's a show car and you don't, just, <laughs> you don't just, uh, turn the key on show car and, and immediately give it gas and get out of the driveway right right that's a good way to put it that's but i will a good way to put it but i will say this there might be an easy fix because i looked at it over the past uh actually two weeks is the date i pulled he is whiffing on 51.5 percent of four seam fastballs whether they be in wow. the zone or out yeah so if you are that bad against fastballs right now you're going to be in a very bad way because that's all you're going to see until you show them otherwise. So, in a way, that's kind of comforting because maybe that's all that's needed. Just maybe take a different approach and expect fastballs and hunt fastballs. But, you know, that's going to have to start there, I think. And Sometimes it is that simple. Sometimes it is that simple of just picking, uh, picking out and hunting fastballs. Sometimes it is something as simple as, hey, lay off a pitcher too, just to see what the pitcher gives you. Yeah. Because there will be times when pitchers won't give you a lot. They'll just you know, try to junk you out of it, see if they can get you to swing on something and beat it into the ground or swing right over top of it and, and give them an easy A-B. Don't give them away so easily. Take a pitcher too and see what they're giving you. Or it's one of those situations where, you know, see if they groove you a fastball on pitch number one. If they do, hack at it. If not, lay off that one and wait till they give you one. Yep. You know, Josh, it feels like we barely scratched the surface, but that's the end of our show. So, cool. <laughs> it's amazing. We always get through a bunch of stuff, and it takes up a lot of time, but I always feel like there's stuff that we didn't get to. I'm sitting there going, did we get through that stuff? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that. All right, well, I guess I guess there's more to come later. But, yeah, it's always good when we, when we get through shows like this. Yep, so the last thing I'll say, I'll say two things uh, to end this show. The first one is you can follow Josh Taylor at Josh Taylor HD. You can follow me at Jay Rollison PGH. Uh, please, the best way you can help our show is to tell a friend. Word of mouth is always the best. Uh, please feel free to leave us a review as well. And one last thing, this will be the last thing that's said on this podcast. Just want to leave you on a good note. Ken Rosenthal is reporting that the Cubs are in agreement with free agent closer Craig Kimbrell. Good night, everybody. How about that? Wow. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. 